Well, good morning again. Okay, yeah, yeah. You were better earlier. I thought maybe Jeff lulled you to sleep or something, you know? Well, um, we are going to take a detour this morning. And um, so if you're visiting this morning, this will be a little different than what we normally do. Uh, just so you know, what we normally would do, uh, we're working our way through the book of Mark. And so uh, what we do is we, we take the next section of the book of Mark, and, and that's what I would, would preach on this morning. I've tabled that. Um, as of last night, because I think um, I want to go ahead and say a few things to uh, to you all in light of Friday's decision by the uh, Supreme Court. I think it would be uh, naive for me to think that nobody's thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's on everybody's mind, and and I think had I had I decided to go forward with the sermon, uh, you would have been asking the question, okay, so how does that apply right now to what I'm going through? Um, so I want to want to say some things. Um, let me say this to you. My, my intent and in what I want to say is, is, is going to be very specific. There's a whole lot of things I could say. A whole lot of things uh, maybe I, I want to say to some of you and, 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 and say other things to others of you. Um, so, so what's hard for me is to decide, okay, with, with the small block of time I have before you this morning, what do I want to say to the majority of you? What do I think is most important right now? And so that's, that's kind of the vein I'm, I'm going to go on. Um, some of you have read the email I sent out Friday night. If you have not read the email and you get our emails, it's probably in your inbox or uh, maybe got filtered to your junk mail or your spam. So check that. It's called A Note from Justin. Um, if you uh, have not gotten those emails, please see me after. And we'd love to make sure and get your email uh, address so that you can get those. Um, but let me, let me kind of sum up the email in case you haven't read that because then I want to expand on some of that. So Friday was a full day. Um, on top of the terror attacks uh, that was going on in Tunisia and in Kuwait and, and, and in uh, France, um, I guess that might be the same thing, um, we, uh, we also had this Supreme Court decision. And so uh, what I want to say to you first is I was not surprised by that, as most of you were not surprised by that. Um, it, this is not something um, that we were caught off guard by. Right? I mean, we, we knew the Supreme Court was this, um, this, uh, determining what they were going to decide on on the issue of same-sex marriage and equal rights, and so uh, we knew that was coming. That's that's not a surprise, um, but I think some of some of us act like it is, and, and I want to say to you then, it was no surprise to God. Okay, um, that that is not something that that He didn't say. Oh, I should have been working harder. Didn't see that coming. You know, so God is not surprised by that. He is still certainly sovereign. He is still on the throne. He is still uh, in control of all things. And so what I said to you uh, in the email then is really for us, the main question uh, many of you are asking is, what do I do? How do I live right now? And so uh, I'm going to come back around and, and say a few other things in a minute. But let me just say this. Nothing has really changed for us. If you call yourself a Christ follower, nothing's changed for you. The, the only thing that, that has changed is um, there's, there's something else in the culture you have to be aware of, and you have to learn how to navigate. Um, but this is not the first time in history that Christians um, have disagreed with a uh, government decision. This is not the first time uh, in history that Christians um, have been living in a place and trying to be the church in a place where the government is hostile. In fact, many, many nations have it much worse. Um, this is not the first time that we as Christians have 
found ourselves uh, ministering or trying to minister to people who don't agree with the Bible or the uh, or a biblical ethic. Nothing nothing is new in that regard. Um, Paul, many many of the places Paul went uh, was in a culture. Um, let me scan here and make sure I don't have any little ears in here. Do I have any little ears? Who, if I say something, okay, well, okay, yeah, I got you. Um, this is not a. Um, so I'm going to speak in some euphemisms here because we got some lawyers. I don't want to have to create an early explanation process for some of you. Um, this is not the first time we've lived in a culture where um, living has been loose with regard to our intimate relationships. Okay, is that, is that true? Um, Paul, in the book of Corinthians, was dealing in a culture like that. In the book of Ephesians, in the, dealing in a culture like that. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's dealing in a book like that. Because uh, he had people that he was, he was writing to who this was their background. This was their, their background. They worshipped other gods. Part of worshipping other gods included um, some inappropriate, uh, intimate relationships that got physical with other people as a part of worship. He had to teach to that and say, this is not how it should be, and here's why. So uh, we don't find ourselves in a situation where, I don't know how I can live as a Christian. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. That's not new. Jesus uh, is, is very well acquainted with living in a culture that rejects God that re, uh, rejects a kingdom or a biblical ethic, and yet he was able to insert himself, in fact, willingly did so, insert himself in that so that he can come and minister and share good news. So in that vein, nothing is new there uh, for us into uh, how we minister, but it is ever more important as to how we go about doing that. And I'm going to expand on that here uh, in just a moment. But let me, let me say this. As I kind of think about our, our congregation on any given Sunday morning, I know some of the things I'm going to say you're not going to like. Some of the things I'm going to say you're not going to agree with. Um, let, let me say this. My intent and my code, uh, I, I hope it comes off, is not retreat, put the walls up, get inside the castle, and, and just close ourselves off until Christ comes back. Nobody who disagrees can come. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm going to say the exact opposite this morning. Okay? Um, also, what I'm, what I'm not wanting to encourage is combativeness. But in seeking to not con, uh, encourage combativeness, I also don't want you to think that it's not important for you to pay attention to what's going on. Okay? Uh, I think what happens is we tend to, to swing one extreme to the other. Either I'm going to politicize this issue and I'm going to uh, act in that regard, or I'm going to stick my head in the ground like an ostrich and pretend like that's not going on and, I, and it doesn't impact me. And I think churches that do either one of those will lose. And they will lose their impact. They will lose their influence. You can't stick your head in the ground and pretend, it, uh, pretend it's not going on, close up the walls, close the gate, uh, hide yourself <coughs> in the walls of the church and, sit and, and just protect yourself until the Christ comes back. You can't do that. And you're not called to do that. But on the flip side, uh, our, our tendency is to, uh, especially now in America, is to identify ourselves with the political side of it more so than the gospel that needs to be infiltrating it. And as Christians, we have to first and foremost be known for that. Okay? And so um, let me say this. Because, again, I know, knowing, knowing the span of people, we've got, we've got people on any given Sunday. I've, I've got groups of you here who are going, I know exactly what I believe the Bible says. I know, I know how to understand it. And so maybe your issue this morning, whether you realize it or not, is how do I respond? And maybe you think you know how to respond, and I'm going to maybe encourage you to do something different than what would come natural or comfortable to you. Uh, and then on the flip side, we've got people who, who you're, you're new to this thing. 
you're new to the faith, you're new to Christianity, you're just getting back in church, maybe you've been in church, but the church never talked about uh, these issues of same-gender uh, 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 same relationships. I'm going to use that phrase just because of little ears, okay? Just There is no political tones to any of the words I'm using and how I describe it. I just realized we've got little ears and certain words are catalysts for conversations. Um, so um, so what, I, what I realize is there's both a need for teaching because some of you are going to be saying, well, what's the Bible say about it? Um, some of you are going to say, well, I thought I knew what the Bible says about it, but there's, there's increasingly more people uh, rising up on the scene who are giving other biblical arguments about it. And so uh, it, it's, it's impossible for me in a small block of time to do all of that. So let me, let me say a few things to the teaching side of it. Uh, we did a sermon series in November of this past year. It's on our website, or if you have downloaded our app, you can listen to it there. Um, blank by the book, okay? Um, think about your textbook from high school, human blank, starts with an S, okay? Blank by the book. Um, so if you go and you look up that sermon, uh, those sermons from November, there's four of them, and they're foundational. Okay, so they're not, they're not going to be detailed dealing with every single text in the Bible. They're foundational, and they cover multiple things with regard to how God has designed and created us and what his intent is with regard to those intimate relationships, uh, physically speaking. And it's particularly the fourth one where we talked about God's intent and design for marriage. Okay? Um, the other thing I want to say is many of you were in the, um, after that series, we went ahead and did a 10-week class on Sunday mornings where we did deal with every single place in the Bible uh, where that is mentioned, where homosexuality is mentioned. And there's, there's six primary verses. And then we went beyond that and kind of talked about how are we supposed to uh, respond. And so some of you have heard that. Some of you, some of you maybe wish you had heard that. And so that may be something we do again in a different setting. So just keep, keep your eye out for that. Um, I say that <coughs> even though this morning I'm not going to make what I have to say primarily about why I think it's wrong. Okay? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that for now because I think the more pressing issue for us today at least how do I respond right now? And that's where I want to go and expand a little more. Okay? Um, the other thing I want you to know is, some of you have asked me these questions as well. Um, several months back, we as elders started a conversation and discussion about uh, amending our doctrinal statement and adding to it uh, what we as a church believe the Bible says about not just homosexuality, but sexuality in general. Okay? And so that's coming. In fact, um, that's being circulated right now and reviewed and, and will shortly be approved, and then we'll get that out. Now, that was coming long before the SCOTUS decision because we recognize that we're in a culture where we, we can't not say something for, for, for multiple reasons. One, for, for believers, Christ followers who want to know, is this a church um, that's going to stand on a biblical view of marriage? We want to make sure we communicate that because you can't take that for granted anymore. But on the flip side, for people who are looking for a church who find themselves in multiple stages of, of, the, um, of their faith, they also need to know because we want to be up front with, with people. We don't want people to be surprised when they get here. Oh, I didn't know you believed that. And so it, it, we're putting it out there for multiple, multiple reasons there. And again, the, the, the tone that I want you to hear this with, and the issue is not so that we can... Uh, protect ourselves, put up the walls, and now you know where we stand. That's not it, because let me say this to you. 
If you are someone who finds yourself in the same gender relationship, you find yourself uh, struggling with the same uh, sex attraction, you find yourself having friends and coworkers or, or family members in that boat, let me say this to you and hear me well. They are welcome here. Okay? They are welcome here. But that doesn't mean we have to say, I agree with Okay, and that's the struggle and the tension for us as Christians. We're very uncomfortable with saying to someone, you're welcome here. We want you to come here. We, we want you to hear uh, what God is doing. We want you to hear the scriptures. We want you to, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But we want to make sure that we're clear. We probably will disagree with you on some of these things. Just like think any other issue, and some of you in here will not agree on some of those issues. But we don't, we don't kick you out because you don't agree with us on, say, speaking in tongues, or you don't agree with us on uh, maybe how the church should be governed. We don't kick you out for that. You're welcome here. But we want you to know where we stand on that stuff so that you're not, you're not um, led astray or, or misled in any way. Proverbs 27.5 says this, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Here's what that passage in Proverbs is talking about. It's better to love someone by, by communicating something that uh, may be a rebuke to them than it is to love them and not say anything. Okay, that's what that passage is talking about. It's better to openly say something, communicate something to someone that may be received as a rebuke to them than it is to stay quiet and say, well, I'm doing that out of love, okay? That's important for us because the, the main thing that we're hearing right now is hashtag love wins, right? And so what does that do for us if we find ourselves on the other side of that? So I don't love, I can't love. And so one of the things I want you to know is uh, very gently speaking, but very firmly, you can communicate and stand on a belief without being unloving. And, and you can communicate that, that disagreement without being unloving. See, it, is, it is a false thing to believe that to communicate with someone that you would disagree with them is unloving. It's false. But how we do that makes all the difference. So with that, I want to uh, invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, I realize some of the things I'm going to say this morning, you're going to have questions, and I invite those questions. Because a lot of this is going to need to be a dialogue uh, between, between us and me and you, or um, groups of us, uh, and how we, how we handle that. That's why we did it in a form of a class, so that that dialogue can take place. Uh, Luke chapter 10, though. I want, to, I, want to, I want to focus in on how do I respond right now? How do I live? Because it's more important than ever that we live out what we believe, and that we, uh, that we demonstrate our love to people in the way we live. So Luke chapter 10, uh, if you've grown up in church, you've been around church of any amount of time, you're probably familiar with the, the Good Samaritan story. Um, if, you're, if you're not, um, this is one of those that, you know, you grow up in Sunday school and that's what they tell all the time, and they put it up on the old school flannel boards, and now it would be videos, you know. Um, so, 
Luke chapter 10, verse 25 um, through 28 is, is the same passage we actually looked at last week from the book of Mark. It's just told from Luke's perspective, and that's the rich young ruler. The guy who comes up to Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to be saved, or what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus says, um, well, you know the commandments, and he lists off the commandments that have to do with relationship horizontally to other people. And he says, uh, the, the man says, yeah, I've done all those things. I've kept them all from my youth. And, um, excuse me, and Jesus looks at him with love and he says, well, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you own and then give it to the poor. And then the man walks away sad because he's a very rich man. And what we looked at last week uh, from Mark's account was that uh, this man valued his riches more than he valued Christ. And that prevented him from being able to come to Christ and receive the kingdom like a child. Luke adds something else after that account. And so, um, whereas Mark ends the story at the man walked away, Luke actually gives us more of the details. And so if you'll look with me at verse 29, so Jesus says, um, you know the commandments? Uh, and the last one that Jesus says in, in verse um, uh, 27 is you are to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus kind of ends that. And, and then in verse 28, uh, Jesus said to him, um, you have answered correctly, go and do this. Go and love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the question that the guy asked in verse 29. The, the expert, the scribe, wanting to justify himself or to vindicate himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? So here, here's what he's asked him. All right, Jesus, so you, you tell me what I need to do is I need to go love my neighbor. So who is that? And see, he's not, he's not asking because he really doesn't know. He wants a line drawn. Who do I have to love, Jesus? How far do I have to go? Like, like Jesus, if, if you're telling me to love my neighbor, um, where can I say that's outside of the bounds of neighbor? Right? So he's looking to justify himself because depending on Jesus' answer, he wants to be able to say, yeah, I did that. So Jesus tells him the story, and I'm, uh, I'm going to kind of rephrase, uh, just paraphrase this for you. Uh, he tells a story about a man who's coming down from Jerusalem, headed down to Jericho, uh, probably coming from worship, uh, worship of some kind, some kind of festival. And along the way on that road, he's mugged. And he is, he is left for dead. He's not dead, but he's left for dead. And, and so as he's lying on that road, uh, at least visible it seems, maybe he's blocking the way, but maybe it's visible. Uh, the, the first guy to come along in Jesus' parable is uh, the priest. Now, the priest would have been uh, a leader of Israel, someone who was related to the family of Aaron. So you remember Moses. Moses had a brother, Aaron. Aaron's the one who uh, really kind of uh, spoke up a lot of times for Moses because Moses said, I stutter and I don't want to you know, speak. And, uh, so Aaron, uh, his family line became the priests. These were the ones who were able to do, do a lot of sacrifices, and these are the ones who were able to do a lot of the unique parts of the worship service of the Jews. They're a leader. They're, they're a, a spiritual leader. They're a pastor. They're a teacher. And he's coming along the way. And you expect a pastor to see someone in need and tend to their need. Someone who is in a tough spot and tend to that. Instead, what he does in Jesus' parable is... Okay, walk around. Avoid him. We don't know why. Jesus doesn't tell us why. Uh, there's speculation. Maybe he was thinking... You know what? I'm just coming from a worship service. I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling holy. Got that, got that spiritual high going on. If I touch him, I might be unclean. Maybe he's got an agenda. We don't, we don't know. Right? So he just moves on. Next guy to come around is a Levite. A little bit of a broader category, still from a particular family uh, that, that ministered to the nation of Israel. 
Um, they, they did so more in a broad way. So again, if you were a Levite, you were holy. You were a, a person of God. You were specially chosen to be in the service for God. Maybe we call them like vocational ministers today. He comes along and you're thinking, well, that priest, he was just a bad apple. Not all of them are like that. But the Levite, man, surely he's going to stop and help this guy. Same thing happens. He sees him and he goes on the other side of the road and he keeps walking. But then the third person to come along, Jesus says, is a Samaritan. Now, pause for a minute because you need to know about Samaritans. Samaritans were hated. If Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd, uh, it's likely they would have hissed and booed and spit when they heard that. Samaritans. They were despicable. They were despised. Because the Samaritans were traitors in a way. They were, they were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. Back in the Old Testament time, when the people of Israel got pulled away uh, to uh, the, the nation of Assyria, uh, even though they weren't supposed to intermarry, these were the people who then went and took their, their wives and their husbands from the people of Assyria, and they intermingled, and it was biracial and triracial and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got these people that were produced that were just despicable in the eyes of the Jews. Traitors. In fact, the Samaritans lived in a completely separate spot. They worshipped in a completely separate spot. And they even developed their own unique uh, twist on the Jewish faith. But Jesus says, and a Samaritan came along. I guarantee you no one in that audience was thinking they were going to hear what happened next. And everybody in that audience is thinking, no, he surely is not going to stop. This guy, he shouldn't even be in the story. What's he doing coming from Jerusalem to begin with? But the Samaritan sees the guy, stops. And now look with me now. Luke, if you're in Luke chapter 10, look at me at verse uh, 33. A Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. He went up to him, verse 34, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put, them on, put him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Six things the Samaritan did. Six things, and it started with he felt compassion for him. And then it says in verse 34, he went up to him. And he proceeds to care for the man, brings him to an inn in town, pays the man's uh, stay there, uh, and, and it was a very costly pay. Your Bible might say denarii or silver coins. The, 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 the bottom line is it was at least a day's wage for one denarii, or one silver coin, and the man pays two. That's a whole day worth of work and gone, financially speaking, and he pays that. He tells the innkeeper, hey, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay for that. So Jesus then, having told that story, I guarantee everybody's jaw was dropped. What is he talking about? That's not supposed to happen like that. He turns back to the man who asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? Like, like, like how far do I have to go with this Jesus. He turns the question around. He doesn't, he doesn't ask who is my neighbor. Answer that question. Instead, he says, which one of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man? Jesus flips it. And he's saying, don't ask who's my neighbor. Instead, ask who can I be a neighbor to? Don't ask who's my neighbor, what's the limit, where, where, do I, where can I draw the line on, on who I love and, and, and how I love. He says instead, ask just who can I be a neighbor to. And that flips things around because here the, the Samaritan hated 
um, knew that this was likely a Jew, he could have left him for dead and said, take that on behalf of all my people for all the stuff you've done. But a man who was hated, who was ethnically different, uh, who had different beliefs, he showed compassion. And Jesus' point here is, as followers of Christ, we are to show compassion to those who are even outside of our comfort zones. Those who maybe I say, I disagree with you with, that's still, I, I've got to be a neighbor to them. Those who, who uh, maybe, maybe I just, I can't understand maybe why they think the way they think, or, or I don't like their background, or whatever the case may be. Those, especially, I've got to be a neighbor to. And so, more than ever, we as the church have to be asking the question, who can I be a neighbor to? How can I be a neighbor? Rather than, can I draw the line there? Who is my neighbor, technically speaking, Jesus? Because I think I'm doing a pretty good job. We will not win intellectual arguments. We won't win them. Most people will not be changed in the way they think or the way they believe because you can out-argue them. And the sad reality is most of us won't be able to out-argue some, some people that we disagree with. It's, it's got to be us remaining Christ to others. Now, and I'm specifically talking about the SCOTUS decision here, but you understand this applies to much broader than that, right? Because it's, it's not just uh, with regard to same-gender couples or people who, who have a same-sex uh, attraction that we are really having among. It's really everyone who struggles with any kind of sin as the Bible defines it. So as I said to the, uh, the class this morning, can you remember, for those of you who grew up in a church um, or uh, were, were taught at least the biblical value on marriage and divorce, that divorce was wrong, and so the first time you came into contact with someone who's divorced, how did you respond? Probably didn't know what to do. Probably didn't know how to treat them. Probably fumbled. Probably, probably, maybe in some cases, some of you are saying, "Yeah, I was, I was just mean. I rejected." Others of you are like, I, "I, I, it was just so awkward, right?" That's kind of what it's like, you know, for for many of us right now. Because maybe a lot of you are not in contact with people who are, are in a same gender relationship, who are attracted to that, and so uh, it's it's a new thing for you to interact with someone. In, in, that, in that world. And so um, you're like, I don't know what to do with that. It's okay. okay. But it's not okay to stay there. Because remember, you are called to love. I am called to love people outside of my comfort zone. It looks different for everyone, but we can't put up the walls and say, I'm just not going there. I'm just, I'm just not going to relate. Because, you know, pull this back a little bit. Because the tendency for a lot of us is, nope, not going there. Going to put up a wall. Going to protect myself. And, um, you know what? Not even going to engage. Not even going to engage. Wouldn't that be a shame if that's how God approached it? Looking down from heaven, I set them on the right track. Adam's the one God. I told him what he needed to do. And now look at how that world has just gone corrupt. <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to engage. I don't want to deal with that. Don't want the drama. Don't want the mess. Don't want the cost of having to love them. If God did that, everybody go home. Go find a good lake. Give me a boat. Some fish. 
Friends, be aware, you'd be wasting your time here. We're just going through motions if that's the case. But instead, as the scriptures make so, so clear to us, it was because God chose to engage sinners. And every single one of us falls in that category. There was not a single person that God looked down and said, see, that guy I can love. That guy loves me. That guy, his life is just exactly what I'm looking for. Therefore, that's the one I'm going to bring in. Instead, it says in Romans 5:8, but while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And you know what fits in that category, still sinners? Fits in that category if you have ever told a lie. God does not have to let you in him. If you have ever hated someone in your heart, Jesus says you're a murderer. God does not have to let you to heaven. If you have ever lusted after a man or a woman, um, then God says, in his, uh, or Jesus says, you're an adulterer, so that breaks the law, you shouldn't get in heaven. Um, if you've ever uh, you know, wanted something that was not yours, well, now you're just a coveter. God's not going to let you in heaven for that. I mean, that, that breaks his law as well. Um, if you've been divorced, well, you know what? Uh, God's original intent for marriage was, was that the, the man and the woman stay married for life, and so then you don't get in as well. I mean, so do you see my point? Not a single person can say, I would have gotten in anyway. But we have to be careful that we don't hone in on particular areas. And right now, for us, that particular area is uh, the same gender relationships or those who are attracted to the same gender. That's just the particular sin we're honing in on. But keep in mind, that's not the only sin that we deal with and that's represented in this room on any given Sunday. And so we treat people, regardless of what they're dealing with, with respect and with dignity because every person is made in the image of God. Regardless of whether you believe that or not, regardless of whether you call yourself a Christ call or not, every single person who has ever been made has been made in the image of God. And the Bible teaches us that because and for that very reason alone, we treat people with dignity and respect. But we, as Christ followers, go beyond that and we love people because we were first loved by Christ. You're not going to win an intellectual argument likely. Maybe there's a few cases where you're going to be able to show someone in the Bible, well, this is what it says, and they're like, I've never seen that before. Well, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change my view. That's not likely going to be the norm. And so it becomes more important than ever that rather than just putting it out there and saying, well, I stand on this, I stand on this, that we lead out instead with, I'm not scared. I love my God. I trust the gospel. I, I trust when Christ said in Matthew 16 that against the, uh, the church, even the gates of hell cannot prevail. I trust that. And so it's not my responsibility to change a person or change their heart. But if I can love you if I can show you that I'm not scared that you're, you're, you're someone who's, who's struggling with this or that or whatever. I'm not scared that your life's a mess. I'm not scared that you're broken. But for the grace of God, that was me. That is me. We've got to be able to lead out with that. And then through that relationship, yeah, we get the opportunity to speak. And remember, it is okay to speak. 
It's the old definition of tolerance that we need to live by, not the new one. The old definition of tolerance, meaning I can, I can be cordial, I can be respectful, I can be, um, treat you with dignity, even though we disagree and we can have those conversations. Not the new definition of tolerance, where in order for me to love you, I have to agree with you. We don't apply that to other things. There's lots of things we disagree on, but it doesn't mean we don't love someone. So remember Proverbs 27.5, it is okay to speak. And when you have that relationship, it's even better to speak. But the temptation will be, let's just make it clear where we stand. And that's important, but maybe not for the reasons we think it's important. Okay, We're not going to compromise what we believe by loving people who believe differently. Okay, but we can't operate in fear and not go in love. So, for me, that's the thing I want to say to you today. There's lots I could say. You have questions, I want to talk to you about them. You have further uh, questions about what the Bible has to say about, about same-sex relationships, I want to talk to you about them. If we end up offering that class again, jump in the class. Okay, we're, we're not afraid to back down from, from the topic. In fact, we need to keep talking about it. Uh, in some ways, the pastors of churches are to blame for Christians who don't understand multiple issues because it, it, it isn't taught. Okay? We won't always have the answers. Um, it's not going to be clean and neat. I'm not going to be able to, to say this is the formula. But if our goal is God alone changes hearts. Redemption is the only hope that we really have and can stand on. And God alone brings that through Christ. We've got to live that out. And we've got to continue to engage and talk to the people who need to hear that. Three examples from Jesus' life that I'll, I'll wrap up with. Um, John chapter 4. He's talking to the woman at the well. A woman who has been married, I think it was five times, and she was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. And as they're in this dialogue, and she was a Samaritan, in this dialogue, so Jesus is, one, talking to a, a, a person who's hated because of her background and ethnicity, two, talking to a woman, which is not, not acceptable, really. And three, he's talking to a woman who has had multiple husbands and now is currently shacking up with a guy who's not her husband. And he never balked once. He, in fact, engaged her. And as he's talking about, uh, talking with her, he's speaking truth. In fact, she's the first person in the book of John that Christ reveals his true identity to. But he never compromises for the sake of loving her. He voices disagreement when he says, hey, go call your husband and come, come bring him out here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. And then he proceeds to tell her her life. You had five of them, you got your little mouth not. Truth and grace. Uh, the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8. Uh, that she's caught in adultery. The law says kill her. Kill her. Uh, really, it's a stone, both of them, but they only brought her. And, and here she is standing before her. Maybe she's naked. Maybe she had a time to turn, pull the sheet over her or whatever. And all these people, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? He says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and they left. And it's just the two of them 
or her in a small crowd, maybe left, he says, hey woman, where's those who condemn you? She says, they're gone. Okay, the one person who has the right to condemn Jesus, because he's God, says to her, then I don't condemn you either. But, go and sin no more. In other words, go and leave that lifestyle. <coughs> truth and grace. No condemnation, but truth and grace. And I said three, and I, I can't remember the third one now. I think it was the Samaritan, so I gave that one to you for um, The bottom line is, is Jesus was not afraid to engage. We cannot be afraid to engage. Okay? We don't have to agree with people to engage and to love them. And again, let me say this to you, because this is important. If you have people who you know are in a same-gender relationship, if you're in here and you're in that relationship, or you're in here and you struggle with same-gender attraction, this is not totally one, I want this to be a safe place for you. I want you to find people here who you can talk about that with. I want to be clear, we don't agree with that. Okay? Please don't mistake our, our love for people as agreement with choices and lifestyle. We don't apply that to other sins. Just like if, if I'm going to love you and, and maybe you are, um, you know, you've you got a drinking problem or you've got a, an anger problem or you're looking at pornography or you're living with someone before you're married or whatever the case may be, I can love you but still speak to you and say, this is why I don't think it's God's best. This is what I think the Bible says. And we can have a really great relationship all the while growing together. So, um, you know, there are other issues, you know, church discipline stuff that, that, that come into play down the line in, in different scenarios. And, and certainly there's a place for that. Um, but I'm talking about in general, we can't be afraid. Um, if, if you're someone who is looking to grow in the Lord, you want to know what the Bible says about things, I hope that's what you find here. We're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to get it right. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable with multiple different situations. Sometimes we're going to go too far one way, too far the other, because we're not perfect. <coughs> but it's ever more important how we respond right now. And I want us to lead out with love, trusting the gospel, trusting the God who changes hearts because of his great love. Okay, so I know there's going to be other questions. Um, certainly there's no way I can say everything I want to say, and maybe I didn't say it well. Um, but uh, after the service... Um, I'll be out in the, the fellowship area and would love to visit with you for a minute or two if you've got, or maybe we send an appointment if you've got a, a longer question or whatnot. Um, and uh, be glad to continue those conversations. Okay. Let me pray for us, and then we'll invite the ushers up. So God, uh, you are in the business of changing people. You're in the business of loving sinners, and that's every one of us. Forgive us, God, when we think that uh, we've joined an exclusive club and somehow we earned our way in. Um, God, forgive us when we don't love and reflect your love in the way that you've loved us. Forgive us, God, when because of fear, because of panic, because of anxiety, because of selfishness, because of pride, because of uh, whatever the case may be within us, we choose not to follow you. Forgive us, God, also uh, when... Because of those things, also, uh, we maybe stumble and choose to 
I'm not speak for you. God, would you show us what that looks like? What does it look like for us as a church, as individuals, uh, to live in a world that doesn't love you? It's not new. What does it look like for us, for us to be in the world but not of the world? To be salt and light. God, teach us how it looks to speak in a way that our words are filled with grace but seasoned with salt. Teach us what it looks like to, uh, to, 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 to live with that tension of a full measure of grace and a full measure of truth, not a balance, because there's no way, God, we can balance those two. One or the other would suffer. Christ didn't balance it. He came with a, a full measure of both. Keep us humble, God, and close to the cross, because when we start to walk away from that and we, we feel like uh, somehow we are now elite, somehow we are better God, we don't love like you love. Uh, show us as a church how we are to live and respond. And God, we do pray for our leaders as you command us. We pray for our president. We pray for our government officials. We pray for uh, all those who are making decisions. We pray that they would uh, turn to you for your wisdom. We pray, God, that you will um, show them the error of their ways in so many areas. It's not the first time they've made a mistake in our our opinion. And God, were we in the same boat, who's to say we wouldn't have gone down the same path? Because we are but human. So God, I pray for them. And uh, God, we pray for uh, those who are in positions of government or in positions of influence that uh, do love you, do know you, do stand on the Bible. We pray that you would encourage them and uh, embolden them to speak. That they would not back down. God, we know that we are waiting for your kingdom and until that day when Christ sits on the throne and the king and the ruler of all is ruling with perfect love and justice, that there's not really going to be a permanent solution. Forgive us when we place our trust in human politics. But God, let us not be naive either. We are to live and represent you in all the spheres that we find ourselves in, including politics. But we will not win people to Christ politics. So God, forgive us when we elevate that above the gospel, which for us as Christ followers needs to be the very first thing that we are characterized by. So God, I pray that you would go behind that and uh, speak where you need to speak to hearts and uh, allow for the conversations and the dialogue that needs to take place. Heal those who need to be healed. And God, if my words have been anything less than grace-filled, we're unclear, God. I pray that you would provide the opportunities to, to come behind. Pray in Christ's name. Uh, with that, let me uh, dismiss us. Your God is love, and he loves perfectly. And perfect love casts out fear. So go and learn from him how to love and do so without fear. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And to do this with and live this way.